So I went back to the board and said, we have a strong foundation, but everything will change. We need to think about the climate and context of our, our business model. And that was the start of a journey for our company to uh, redefine everything. Call them change makers. Call them rule breakers. We call them redefiners. Join us in conversation with daring leaders who are creating extraordinary impact and driving change from around the globe. Each episode gives you a fresh perspective on your leadership and career journey. I'm Hoda Tahoon, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds. I'm Clark Murphy, the former chief executive officer and a leadership advisor. And this is Redefiners. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our end-of-season episode of Redefiners. I'm not sure about you, Clark, but this year has really flown by. I know. You said final episode, and I'm like, holy smokes, <laughs> how'd that happen? How did we get here? I know, I, no I know, idea. I know. It all kind of rolls <laughs> from the 1st of September forward, but I'm like, wow, this one swept by even faster. Maybe I say that every year, but we've arrived here quickly, and I'm, I got to tell you, I'm a little tired, but I'm ready to <laughs> get a break for the holidays. I'm ready. It's been a very, very busy year. I'd love to hear about some of your top highlights, but let me tell you some of mine, Clark. Oh, I'm all in. Let's go. So one of the top highlights for me was being invited to be your co-host on Redefiners, being a part of Russell Reynolds' capstone training program in London, which was mm. phenomenal. And I learned how to put a topspin on my serve in tennis. So now the game is going to completely change. Well, <laughs> I think that's a pretty good year, to say the least. I think so. Clark, what about you? What are some of your highlights from this past year? Our eldest daughter, after five years in San Francisco, moved back to New York. So we're restacking the deck with the family. Big one for me, as some of you know, I do a lot of ocean racing, sailboat racing. And one of the great iconic races in the world is called the Fastnet, which is in England across the Irish Sea. And we not only won our class, but we were second out of 430 overall. And that's wow, kind of a lifetime achievement. That's amazing. And did it with three of our children who are on the team, which is great. And I think lastly is, for better or worse, maybe why I'm so tired. You know, everybody is ready to see people in person. So the bad news is you yeah. got to be in place X with a few days notice. The good news is we're all back in the gear, I think, yeah. about how businesses and human relationships are working in person. And I find that energizing. Uh, it's exhausting, but I find it at the same time, super energizing. I think I've learned as much in this past year for better and for worse from all these fascinating conversations and how leaders are kind of guiding through really challenging times. And I think the world is more challenging. We never thought it could move faster and it is. And a lot of unexpected things have happened and we're all reacting to them a little bit on the back foot. So it's a fascinating period and a tough period. I think you're right, Clark. Leaders have their hands full now with lots of uncertainty, continuous change. In fact, I was thinking through this and, you know, managing and leading through uncertainty and change was a very common theme through a lot of the conversations that we had. I mean, Clark, if we thought at the beginning of 2023 that geopolitics was on everyone's mind, my goodness, it's just daunting where we sit now at the end of the year. You know, I feel kind of selfish saying I'm exhausted because I'm traveling a lot. Jiminy Christmas, you know, the humanitarian toll that we watch every day, read about, hear about is globally exhausting. And we have to recognize that as well as we talk about business and all these things, Hoda, in this podcast. But I think the world is tired and sad. And yet as leaders, we have to pivot to move on, but recognize the emotional toll. I find it super challenging and finding the right Balance is so, so difficult. There are so many issues, but whether it's AI or interest rates, inflation, 
local politics. And then we put sustainability and net zero on top, emerging technologies. So we're trying to find the balance, but also avoid the potholes, understand the risks, whether it's technology or inflation. All of it's pretty complicated. That's a lot for leaders to juggle. You know, in our conversations with leaders this past year, it's really given me an appreciation of how much they constantly have to redefine, whether it's their business strategy, people, product, um, thought pieces. It's all just constantly moving and very dynamic. And what's going on is not just in their businesses, but it's happening all over the world. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think if, if we're reflecting on the past year and our guests, a bunch of them talked about staying nimble and agile to adapt. And then every month, it actually sped up on them. So going back to hear what some of them said early on and then thinking about how it cranked up through the year, reacting to what's changing has been huge. And, and certainly if we pick one topic, it's true of sustainability, which continues to be one of the top issues redefining how companies operate, but it's more complex than it was 12 months ago. That's for sure. That's for sure. And we continue to see sustainability being discussed at both the board level, but also with C-suite leaders. And I don't think this is going away anytime soon. You know, sustainability impacts customers, investors, shareholders, how you attract talent, and of course, the planet that we're on. You know, leaders continue to be challenged to move the needle when it comes to this topic in every part of their organization. For sure. I mean, I think the volumes turned down, but the activities turned up. It's just quieter. As you know, this is where yeah. I'm spending probably 50% of my time. And I've been in everywhere from Zurich to Austin to Calgary to Boston. And boards are like, what's our role? What's management's role? And institutional investors, while they're quieter about it, it's still happening. It's still happening. And I think it's definitely on the top of mind for one of our guests on the podcast who had an epiphany that inspired him to redefine his company around sustainability. Yeah, I remember, I remember. This was uh, the CEO of Yara, Svan Torhe Holsetter, who's a great, great friend of the firm's. And he talked about his redefining moment coming out of the 2015 climate conference in Paris. And Svan had just become CEO of Yara. And if our listeners don't know, it's the world's leading crop nutrition company that's responsible for half the world's food production. Wow. There's nobody who's living sustainability every day like he does. And he talked about his reaction to the conference when he came back to Norway. It's an amazing observation. I made the decision then that we need to think completely different. We need to be a step ahead of this. So I went back to the board and said, we have a strong foundation, but everything will change. We need to think about the, the climate in context of our, our business model. And that was the start of a, a journey for our company that lasted about a year uh, to uh, redefine everything. We, we ended up with a new mission, a new vision, new values, and a strategy built on the sustainable development goals with broad involvement in the organization and, of course, several discussions with the, with the board as well. So it was truly uh, a redefining moment for me as a, as a leader. Sustainability cannot just be something that you're doing on the side to cover up for all the bad things you're doing or all the emissions and so on. It has to be relevant. Another leader who's made bold decisions on sustainability is the CEO of Royal DSM, Fike Sabizma. And Fike led the transformation of the company from mining and chemicals to biotech and nutrition. I mean, what a reinvention. But Fike didn't stop there. His vision was not just to reinvent and grow the company, but make it more sustainable at the same time. He summed this up under the idea of doing well by doing good, which really proves that profitability and sustainability work hand in hand. 
we define leadership as you need to have a vision, you need to be connected with your people in the world, you need to implement that vision by being decisive and then generate results and develop people, et cetera, et cetera, all the leadership characteristics. But for me, the whole leadership journey starts with insight, insight in yourself, in your strengths and weaknesses, insight in the people you work with, and insight in the world you operate in. I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but I got to tell you, his stories, particularly about the funerals held for initiatives that didn't work, he still remains at least one of my favorites, to say the least. Those themes of insight and transformation, innovation, were at the heart of a bunch of our conversations this year. And I have to say, one guest had innovation at the core of his career and his business. Co-founder and board member of First Mode, Chris Voorhees, solves seemingly impossible problems on Earth and in space. So let's just think about that. If we think our jobs are tough, let's go solve a problem 30,000 miles away, okay? (laughs) His company's tagline of, we build the barely possible to overcome the barely solvable, demands thinking out of the box. I mean, this guy, this was phenomenal. I mean, you can absolutely use more of this type of moonshot thinking these days, I think, Clark. Well, you know, I'm I'm a fan of the old moonshot phrase, uh, and I love talking to people who, who have moonshots. Chris talked about his work bringing sustainability to one of the dirtiest industries in the planet, the mining industry. He and his team took on the challenge to redesign the power system of the massive mining haulage trucks to create the world's largest zero-emission fuel cell electric vehicle. So you have to understand, these trucks, the wheels are taller than a six-foot person. Wow. Like, they're, they're absolutely massive. And then he goes on, let's just go to Mars for the next challenge. He also talked about his previous job, working on the Mars Spirit and Opportunity rovers. And they approach the challenge of building something that'll operate in a planet humans have never been to, but it has to operate flawlessly. So, I mean, literally the barely possible to overcome the barely solvable. If you have to do something, you use the best information you've got. You use the best analogs that you can find. And we didn't really know very much. And so we had to come up with the best guesses we could. And that sounds frightening, but at at some point you have to take your best guess. The best choice or the easiest choice is no choice at all. You could just choose to wait for better information or wait for more information. And the real beautiful thing was that we couldn't. Celestial mechanics drove the deadline. It's like you can't slip a month if you slip a month You have to wait 26 months to go to Mars again. And Clark, we heard a lot about using available data to make the best decisions in the moment is something all leaders are facing. And global leaders are doing just that as they make decisions on how to use AI in their businesses. And it's a topic that came up, continues to come up, and I think will be something that we constantly talk with with our clients. You're right. And it's not just the client's. I don't think there's a dinner party or a cup of coffee or a meeting inside Russell Reynolds that we're not talking about AI and, and yeah. how do we use it and what do we do with it? It's a huge, huge topic. Some leaders are in the early stages of planning their first steps or running experiments, while others, I think, have figured out how to embed AI into a lot of their business streams, their products, and are constantly iterating to launch new ways with new products and business strategies using AI. You know, I think many people see this as an inflection point in our society. It's not just computing anymore. It's how business is done. I agree. And just don't write my son's college essay is the biggest thing. <laughs> it's a huge topic. And, and we wanted to bring in our colleague, Emma Coombe, who's a managing director in our London office and hosts our incredibly successful spinoff podcast, Leadership Lounge. 
And if you haven't listened to it, check it out, Leadership Lounge. It's a podcast where our leadership advisors at Russell Reynolds Associates share bite-sized insights on a range of topics for leadership, including AI. Emma, thank you for being with us. You've cranked it up on Leadership Lounge. Well done. Hi, Clark. Hi, Hayda. It's so great to be with you. I can't believe the year is almost behind us. Emma, it's so great to have you on. And you've had some really insightful conversations on Leadership Lounge this past year. Topics like how to get on a board, what top companies typically ask in executive interviews, how to recover from failure. I think that was a really, really popular one. How to manage a career break. And of course, how leaders can adapt and succeed in an AI-driven world. That's right, Hoda, we did. And it's been wonderful having the chance to pick the brains of our leadership advisor colleagues around the world on all of these different topics. Based on these conversations, as well as what I hear from my own clients, you're spot on, Hoda, that AI is going to have a dramatic impact on business and leadership. We know leaders are kind of all over the map in terms of where they're implementing AI Some leaders have just dived straight in and are using this technology in a range of areas. Others are a bit more hesitant and taking more time to figure out what feels right. But I think a good way to think about it came from Harpreet Karana, who's our very own Chief Digital Officer here at Russell Reynolds. He had a really interesting analogy as to where we are in the evolution of AI. We are what I call in the flashlight app moment, right? Remember when we got our iPhone and we were so excited about getting the flashlight app? Well, guess what? The iPhone can be used for a lot more than that. We're very early in our evolution of AI. So don't be driven by the fear of missing out. Keep at it and look for use cases where AI can play a really important part. Think of this as a new type of worker entering the workforce and find the equilibrium between your job and where AI can help you. So like many listeners, Harpreet is figuring out where to deploy AI at Russell Reynolds in his role of CDO. While he's well past the flashlight app moment he describes, we're all still figuring out the best use cases for this technology. I think we are. And one of our guests this season talked about one of those beginning use cases when it came to customer experience. Ashley McAvoy, the executive vice president and chair of Johnson & Johnson MedTech, touched on this early experimentation with AI and how they're using it in healthcare to improve patient outcomes. We're actively deploying AI right now, really in all aspects of how we engage with customers, how we innovate, and how we make our products. And, you know, we use AI as an example around how we do procedures differently to improve outcomes. So we are the world leader in cardiac ablation. If you have a heart arrhythmia, and you don't manage that, that could put you at a higher risk of a stroke. So we created a procedure, which is a cardiac ablation procedure. And through the use and the deployment of our artificial intelligence, we've gotten much better algorithms. So what used to take us three and a half hours to do a case now takes us one hour to do a procedure. So The science and the technology has really evolved, but the deployment of artificial intelligence has really helped enable better patient outcomes. Another proponent of AI that we talked with, Clark, was Brad Smith, vice chair and president of Microsoft. And, you know, clearly Microsoft has put a big stake in AI as they've not only invested heavily in OpenAI, the maker of ChatGPT for all of those out there, 
but they've also integrated the technology into several of their core office products. And over the last 30 years, Brad essentially has sat front row to not only how much the tech industry has changed, but also how it's changed business and society. And given his background, we wanted to know what Brad thought about the promise and peril of AI. Fundamentally, every technology is a tool and a weapon. That's the reality. And yeah, AI is in some ways, one of the most powerful tools that humanity has probably ever created. And therefore, by definition, it could become one of the most formidable weapons if it is misused or abused by people up to doing the world harm. And so what do you do? How do we manage that? Well, the formula that we recommended in our book is at bottom pretty straightforward. It requires two things. One is that those of us who strive to be responsible companies who like what we see when we get up and look in the mirror in the morning, better recognize we're going to have to work very hard and move very fast, not to break things, but to avoid breaking things and to fix things that others are breaking. We need to step up to a high level of responsibility. And second, we need to recognize that in the world today, in this country and elsewhere, most of the time, most markets for most products are regulated to some degree. We buy the food in the grocery store with confidence because we know that the food is inspected by agricultural inspectors. And therefore, governments do need to speed up and we need to find the right combination of self-responsibility by companies and regulation by governments and do it on a global basis. Sometimes you get lucky in these podcasts that couldn't have been a more timely conversation with Brad. You know, he takes the complex and makes it simple to understand. And we covered a lot of ground that episode on technology, AI, sustainability, a host of topics. But one of my takeaways from the conversation was the successful adoption of AI not only requires a transformation from the business sector, but also from government leaders as well. That balance is important that everybody navigate this technology successfully. It's such a great point, Clark. And I think we hear this from leaders all the time. Anytime a business is going through transformation, it really requires everybody to be on board. I think one of the great examples of this was one of the leaders we had on the podcast earlier this season, restaurateur and author Will Gadara. You know, Will goes to great lengths to surpass customer expectations on a daily basis. And he has a great story, the hot dog story. We're going to call it that. But Clark, do you want to tell everybody about that? I thought it was incredibly powerful. Again, being in a service business as we are, rethinking how he looks at service and customer service. He shared his story of the birth of what he calls unreasonable hospitality when he overheard a table of customers who were in from out of town. And they were saying the one food they didn't get to try during the trip was a hot dog from a New York City <laughs> cart vendor. Like, okay, that wouldn't have been top on my list at his restaurant, but more, more power to him. So what's Will do? He runs outside, buys hot dogs for everybody and serves it to them in his four-star restaurant in this beautiful presentation that the chef did. I mean, you can't make it up. A hot dog in a four-star restaurant is sacrilegious until you look at the way that it made them feel because it was specific to them. Now, that's all well and good. It's what happened next that defined our culture and got us to the top. I met with the team and told them about that experience and gave them permission and the resources to start doing the same kind of thing for their guests. I backed that up with a budget and I hired someone onto the team whose only responsibility was to help them bring those ideas to life. This is where a lot of leaders fall short. They come up with a great idea. They give their team 
the idea, but then they don't back it up with the resources to make it a plausible part of the, the culture. Hoda, you know I love that story. I think it's fantastic. But what is it all about? It says, hey, listen to customers. Listen, listen, listen. Particularly as customer experiences have changed so much in the last couple of years. And they'll always tell you how to make them happy, loyal customers, if you listen. You know, another leader who is obsessed with surpassing customer expectations is Kat Cole, Chief Operating Officer and President of Athletic Greens. Kat has an incredible background driving organizational scale in restaurants and the food service industry. So she knows firsthand the importance of organizational culture and really staying close to the customer daily. Building a culture around that where that is healthy and not reaching to uh, an approach where it's unhealthy, which would look like me doing someone else's job for them because I'm reaching around and disempowering. The key is to use that knowledge to actually then anchor and lead and create that similar obsession with today's customer. Not, not the report that came out last year, not the feedback session we did or the focus group two quarters ago today. The world just moves so fast and our customers are on a journey and we come in and out of their lives. But for many of them, we stay in their lives. And so understanding how that changes uh, is critical. And so for me, the key is building a culture where people are generally equally obsessed with staying close to the action. So then the natural layers of leadership can play their part as opposed to having it imbalanced or feel like micromanagement or mistrust. Staying close to the action and staying current is, is what customers want. There's a great George Balanchine, the choreographer, has a great quote that says, don't be reverent, be relevant. That is a formula for success. And another leader we talked about this season who certainly has the balance of reverence and relevance is the ultimate in customer experience, Max Hollein, who's the CEO of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Max talked about how he uses diverse voices and really honest conversations in the museum to improve the experience for the museum visitors. Museums tended to speak with one voice, meaning like, okay, I'm the docent and I'm telling you how you need to see it. The reality is that also within our institution, we sometimes can't even agree on something. That's exactly what we should tell people. We can't agree. It's, it's so complex. So we have three different eminent scholars and they just have very different perspectives. So this idea of a multiplicity of voices and various perspectives is really important. And even for our audiences, sometimes it's more interesting to tell them what we don't know than always only telling them what we know. I really loved hearing Max's points of view. You know, customer experience has certainly been a very hot topic this year, Clark. And I remember our conversation with Supergoop CEO, Amanda Baldwin, where she talked about how she stays relevant with customers by making iterative changes and pivoting constantly to meet customers where they are. She had a great response when we asked her what is needed to make those pivots while balancing rapid growth globally, might I add, and staying close to Supergoop's mission. I think I would answer that question in two ways. First is that infrastructure and preparing for growth is essential. I think it's the thing that often doesn't get talked about in the same way, right? We often talk about brands, we talk about product, but when I look at where are things successful or not, sometimes it's just about getting the back end right. And I, I hesitate to use the word back end because I don't like that word because it suggests some sort of hierarchy of importance or something like that. And, and my team is very used to me saying like what the consumer sees is 
one thing, but what they don't see is equally important. I wish I could come up with a new word for it. That's why I use the word infrastructure, right? It's the enabler of everything else. If you don't have a good supply chain, if you don't understand the regulatory environment, if you don't have a good finance team, you you cannot operate. Okay, so I'm partial with pale Irish skin that this was a very important um, episode for me this year, okay? But uh, more importantly than my skin is, I love to point that it's often what customers do not see that's as important as the product branding and the packaging. And getting the infrastructure right is critical to growth and it lays the foundation for that customer experience. But it's all behind the scenes that gives you what you see in the scene. That's right. So speaking of things you don't always see that impact businesses, risk and uncertainty were two of the big issues leaders dealt with this year. Yeah, and I think it just accelerated as the year went on from the economy to geopolitics, natural disasters, emerging technologies, AI, as we talked about. The world, not only does it keep changing, but it's changing in bigger and bigger ways than even we thought at the beginning of the year. So as a great leader, how do you navigate through the unknown? I think Chairman and CEO Baker Hughes, Lorenzo Simonelli, shared his strategy on how he mitigates the risk of uncertainty. And he had clarity with it that I thought was fascinating to learn from. You never know what's going to happen around the corner. So my philosophy is really a dual approach. The first is focus on what you can control. And that means service levels. It means operational efficiencies. It means the running of the day-to-day business and making sure you care about your employees and you're an employer of choice. And all of those factors are in your control. Then there's elements that are outside of your control. And these are the black swan events or the geopolitics. And the way in which I've approached them is actually test out different scenarios, role play the different scenarios. I find role playing to be a great tool to be able to do red team, blue team on a situation. And if the event never happens or a like event happens, you can start to implement that role-playing and you can start to put the actions into place. You know, Clark, Lorenzo brought up some great points. Scenario planning is a key tool in the toolbox for CEOs and boards. It's really a great way for leaders to workshop responses to crises before they happen so that they're ready if and when they need them. But sometimes, despite all the planning... Things just don't work out as planned, and leaders have to deal with failure. So for this topic, we want to bring Emma back to the conversation. Emma, I know that you covered this topic quite a bit. We did, Heide, and as you said, it had great listener feedback, because failure is something we all have to deal with, right, at some point in our career, often more than once. And if we're not taking risks, innovating, trying new things, then we're not learning, we're not growing our organizations. Without failure, there is no success, and vice versa. But knowing how to deal with and recover from failure is key to developing that growth mindset that leaders aspire to have. And we had some great advice from our colleague Anu Peranik, a managing director, on what failure and recovering from it means to her. A leader who is working through failure is going through a very, very tough patch, right? I think it's important as a leader to acknowledge the fact that some things that they have tried haven't worked. And a lot of leaders get to their roles by having done everything right each time. And so when they actually face failure for the first time in their careers, it's sort of worth shattering in multiple ways. But having said that, I think it's important for each one of us when we are at that stage in our lives to take a moment and reflect on what's gotten us there. And that reflection piece is something a lot of leaders forget to do. 
this is a time taking a little bit of a step back, reflecting on what's happened, what's gotten you over there. And more importantly, trying to see what is the lesson that this failure is teaching you. At the end of the day, it's something that you tried and it didn't work. People who don't try never know what failure is, but they never know what success is either. Anu had such a great point about the downsides of not trying because you're afraid to fail. Listen, risking failure is never easy, as we've talked about. But without risk, I'm not sure there's a reward. And Clark, this makes me think of something else that Brad Smith mentioned when we talked with him about risks and learning. You asked, do people need to learn before they leap? I actually think they need to leap in order to learn. That is the only way to learn. There's a limit to what one can really apply to your own business if you're not experimenting. When we talk about experimenting and taking the leap, there's probably no greater personal risk than a a career change, especially when you've been successful in the career you're changing from. One of our guests this season did just that. Stephanie Rule, the host of MSNBC's The 11th Hour, shared her story about taking a huge career leap from banking to media and how she alleviated that risk for an employer who was also taking a big chance on an unproven anchor on her. And the next day, I had lunch with Andy Lack, who ran Bloomberg Media. And Andy said, in the new world of media, you don't have to know how to be on TV. You don't have to go to journal. He goes, you don't have to read a teleprompter. He said, you need to know the content, love the content, and the audience has to like you. And I said, I have one and two better than anyone that works for you. Number three will be a risk, but I'm going to mitigate the risk for you. You can pay me the lowest amount of money of anybody who works in this entire company. You just have to give me a show to anchor and hire someone to teach me how to be on TV. It was fascinating to hear Stephanie talk about the risk of switching careers as there was no going back to banking once she left. She was someone who's not afraid to do the hard work, whether it was in finance or in cable news. You know, I could relate a lot to Stephanie's story, Clark, because I left banking and came into executive search and talent advisory. And doing the hard work and managing uncertainty and risk are also core elements when it comes to investing. And one of our guests this season has been incredibly successful in this regard, so much so that his company is sometimes called Baby Berkshire, as it shares a similar investment style as Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. CEO of Markel Group, Tom Gaynor, takes a long-term view when it comes to investing and risk tolerance in his business of insurance and investing. We talked with Tom about how he manages uncertainty. It is a tremendous gift to work under a leader who is able to stick to the long-term. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if the long-term were easy, if there were never any ruts, if there were never any bad days, well, then everybody would do it. But the reason so few people do it is because you do have to endure periods like that. And to be able to have a partner who was able to stick to the ideas, to stick to the values through the tough times, well, that's what matters. Everybody sticks with it during the good times. It's the tough times when you you start to know. I was so fascinated by Tom's episode. I got to tell you a story. Last week, literally, I flew to Richmond to have dinner with him in person to say- Oh, you did? I did. I said, I want to learn more. And you know, Hoda, all these people say, when you're in town, please come by. And I finally did. For me, this, this concept about taking the long-term view to let things play out, to get through the bad days, to really believe in the long-term, I think we don't really do that enough, but he certainly does. And the concept of have the ability to stick to your values, trust in the long-term, it's critical to get leadership buy-in, particularly from your board, but stick to the long-term. And when we sat down with Ram Sharan in between his travels from <laughs> Bangkok to New York, which is pretty funny, he was talking about leadership and boards as well. And he shared some really insightful advice about how to maximize the value of your board. 
Most boards don't really know the business in depth. They can't. Six board meetings a year, four board meetings. So the idea here is the CEO has to take the initiative to have the board members understand the business. Many of the board members will love to do that and not this PowerPoint one-hour discussion with mumbo-jumbo accounting. They don't really get it. Some do. Most cannot do that. And so they should have a 12-month agenda. CEO and chairman of committees should design what is the 12-month agenda, how it will be done, what time allocation, what preparation. Ram also shared his time-tested wisdom in that conversation, including one of my favorite quotes that I'm still using today because it was so insightful. Common sense is very uncommon, but many people have to learn how to observe human behavior. It's such a great quote and something I've kept in my mind as well to remind me to take a step back occasionally and pay attention to what my team and my clients are doing and the why. You know, Ram's mention of human behavior makes me think of our conversation, Clark, with speaker and best-selling author, Jacob Morgan. He talked about the power of leading with vulnerability. He also talked about how vulnerability can be a double-edged sword, as it might not have the impact you were hoping for if you don't approach it with intention and authenticity. Yes, you can be too vulnerable, you can be too empathetic, you can be too anything. The reason why this happens is because you don't know the intention of why you're being vulnerable. So when you treat your organization like a big therapy session and you don't think through what is it that I'm saying and why am I saying it, you become too vulnerable. There's a framework that I have in the book, it's called the vulnerability wheel. And there are five concentric circles, but at the very center of that vulnerability wheel is intention. And this wheel is meant to be a framework. What is it that I want to share or do? And what's the purpose behind it? Am I sharing something because I want to create better rapport? I want my employee to view me as being human with my own challenges and struggles. One of my big takeaways from that conversation was how leaders can bring their humanity to work in more effective ways to help their teams excel and finding that balance of authenticity and emotion and humanity. So speaking of bringing your humanity to work, I think we need to bring Emma back to the conversation as she's covered this topic on the Leadership Lounge. We certainly did, Hader and Clark, and it was a fascinating discussion. One of the really common misconceptions about leadership is that leaders should be perfect and not make mistakes. Well, I can speak from personal experience that um, no means <laughs> no means perfect and plenty of mistakes. Hoda, how about you? Oh my God, same here. As, as the saying goes, perfect is the enemy of good. Exactly. Look, it's not possible for any human and it's not healthy for organizations if their leaders are presented as perfect. Our colleague Shannon Knott talked about this in one of our Leadership Lounge episodes. You aren't supposed to be perfect. Vulnerability and yes, even imperfection create trust and build connection. So admit your mistakes, be humble, ask for help, demonstrate vulnerability. These behaviors will catalyze followership. Oftentimes new leaders have this mixed conception that they're supposed to be infallible, but this only perpetuates a culture that won't take risks, won't set goals. Shannon has such a great point here. Trust and connections are so critical to leadership. I think it's the backbone of the whole thing, really. You know, Mm -hmm. if you don't trust your leader, what are you going to do with them or for them? Um, You know, a bunch of our guests shared a number of insights with us this season. Can't really put them all in one episode, but we encourage all our listeners to dig into the Redefiners library and to listen to them. 
But since we're in the holiday season and we could all use a little bit more peace and joy in this world, I wanted to share one more bit of advice from Stephanie Rule on how to create a happy life. I really do believe that love is the most powerful emotion. People think of it as the weakest. It's the most powerful. It's what drives everything in the world. It's what starts wars. And if instead you said, what if I just gave people the benefit of the doubt? What if I loved more? And I would say, I didn't do that in the first half of my career. I fought every fight. My elbows couldn't have been sharper. And maybe that's the industry that I worked in or the space I was in, but it only makes you win in the short term. It doesn't make for a full or a happy life. So what if you gave people the benefit of the doubt and every once in a while got burned? I'd rather live my life that way. We got so much great advice from all our Reader Finders guests this past year. Before we wrap up, as our listeners know, we like to end each episode with rapid fire questions. Well, we've been asked by the Redefiners team to put ourselves in the shoes of our guests to see what it's like from their side of the conversation. I don't know how I feel about this, whoa, whoa, but we whoa. have no asked... No one warned me about this. This is not the way it's supposed to work. I know, I know. But we've asked Emma to do the honors for this, Clark, and pose some rapid fire questions, both you and I. Thank you. I am honored to step in and lead this. Are you both ready? No. <laughs> no, but here we go. <laughs> Great. Well, Hoda, you're up first. And since we're in the holiday season, what's your favorite holiday movie? Love Actually. Fantastic. Uh, Clark, where in the world would you live if money was no issue? Uh, probably Sydney, Australia. Ooh. Get to go sailing every day. Great people, great environment. I'd, I'd go to Sydney. Hoda, what is one subject you'd like to learn more about? Many things, but at the top of the equation right now, I'm completely fascinated by the brain chemistry of how the human mind works. So I've been reading uh, a lot about Joe Dispenza's work. And then very differently, I am learning Portuguese. And you're getting top spin on your serve. Where do your talents end? <laughs> Clark, what is a piece of advice that has stuck with you for years? Never let them see you sweat. Ooh. Somebody took me out my first morning of working this firm and working for Russ, and she said, Never let him see you sweat. Like it. Hoda, what is one of your goals for 2024? It can be personal or business, your choice. I would say from a personal standpoint, I try to go to at least two new cities every year. So I'm going to stick with that for 2024. Fantastic. And finally, Clark, what do you think is the key to living a good life? Apart from working at Russell Reynolds, obviously. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my. Let's end the year lightly. Um, yeah. <laughs> love? Um, humility, sense of humor. Great answers. So Clark, now that we know what it's like for our guests to answer rapid fire questions, I have to say, I'm glad that we're the ones that ask the questions and not having to answer them. <laughs> yeah, Emma's not coming back. We're sticking to the format, okay? We ask the questions, okay? Well, that wraps up season three of Redefiners. Thank you, Emma, really, really for coming. And congratulations on the success of Leadership Lounge. Well, it was fun for me. Thank you for having me. And thanks to all the leaders who made time to join us in Redefiners. We're grateful to have the opportunity to talk with such amazing, thoughtful, and authentic leaders and truly a group of Redefiners. We've really learned from each and every conversation and have been inspired by them throughout this past year. Needless to say, we have many more remarkable guests, inspiration and insights yet to come in season four, starting in January. On behalf of Clark, Emma, and myself, thank you to our amazing listeners for joining us on our journey to explore how global leaders are redefining what it means to lead in today's increasingly complex world. We truly appreciate it. 
We wish you and your families happy and healthy holidays, and we will see you all in January.